Well, it's the first of the month, as Bone Thugs would say. It's September 1st, the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I don't have anything to sell you. <laughs> I'm in a very kind of relaxed mood. Huh. But it's September. A lot of things are going down in September. Concerts. I'm not going to tell you right, but I wish I was. And that's a wonderful film festival. Um, I think it's, is it toward the end of September? Bjork has a new album coming out. Um, Yeah. And then, of course, we have Labor Day. Now, tomorrow would have been my grandmother's 89th birthday. Um, But she's always with me, especially when I watch the classics. And when I got into the classics, when I was about 18, she was like, just so you know, my favorite is Mae West. I was like, oh, okay. And so I went on to watch a lot of Mae West films, and, and I understood why. Mae West had such a such an interesting way of seeing the world. She had that, you know, accent. She was from Brooklyn. I love, I love accents, but especially Mae West. Mae West was very, she was very sure of herself, both sexually and comedically and the one-liners and the double entendres come on the classic films you know there's the two periods there's there's uh the 30s and the 40s and 50s that's the golden age of film and then there's another golden age of film that took place in the late 60s early 70s everyone was making films i mean you look at the films now that we regard as classics. And you look at, you know, Scorsese, and you look at Spielberg, you look at De Palma, and of course, my fellow Californian native, born in Modesto, California, Mr. George Lucas. So films, there's there's a film era in each decade. I mean, you look at the 90s, the one person that stood above the fray And gave us something new and original, and yet was borrowed from the past, was Quentin Tarantino. And even um, a different generation like Clint Eastwood talked about that. How when Tarantino came to town, came to con with Pulp Fiction, and how it was very revolutionary. And in terms of how that film was constructed together. And so the means behind this is if we go back, and I remember there was an interview that Betty Davis did with Dick Cavett. And she talked about how back in the day, in her day, films were made in 20 and 30 days. That's true. That's why actors made so many films in a year. I mean, you look at the year of 1939 and all of the films that came out. And on, you know, Betty Davis, I mean, she did Dark Victory. The year before that, she did, uh, what is it, Jezebel. So, and I think she did another one. Oh, yeah, she did Elizabeth in Essex. In 1939, I believe. So everyone was doing more than one film per year. Now, it's kind of different. It also has to do with who owns the studios. And Betty Davis, whom I absolutely loved, and I loved watching her in interviews because she just didn't back down. She didn't back down. And she knew her worth as an actress. She even said in the early days, you know, she was not a beauty, but she was willing to go places that actors 
and actresses wouldn't go in terms of making herself look ragged and making herself look, you know, like she'd been through a lot. And you look at actresses like uh, Meryl Streep and Susan Sarandon and Viola Davis who go there. They go there. And that's in part to Betty Davis. And Betty Davis, I, I love what Meryl Streep said about Betty Davis. She said, you know, Betty Davis taught her how to scare the hell out of a man. And Betty Davis was very, very short. And I remember watching, they were doing like, you know how they do those Turner Classic movies where all these actors talk about past. And um, Jenna Rollins had worked with Betty Davis on Strangers. She absolutely loved working with her because Betty's attitude, she said Betty was all about attitude. And, the, and she wasn't always doing nice girl things in films and she got away with it. Her characters, she played these visceral characters, these meaty, juicy roles at Warner Brothers. In fact, one of the most famous lines, I mean, she's had several, was, of course, what a dump. And in the 60s, Edward Albee did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and he pumped up what a dump. And so Elizabeth Taylor very famously saying, what a dump. And, and emphasizing it more than Betty, because Betty Davis, and that was Betty Davis's last film for Warner Brothers, Beyond the Forest, where she just walks around and she's like, with, I think it was her and um, who was it? It was another or Ron. Well, no, it wasn't Ronald Coleman, but she looks at him and he's like, "How are you doing?" She's like, "Fine," and then she just kind of looks around very nonchalantly. What a dump! What a dump! And in fact how she would imitate the imitators and in 1989 she was receiving I believe an award from a probably a French film festival I, I, I would have to go back and look at the tape and um, oh, the tape remember VHS's this was a VHS it was a Andy biography of Betty Davis and how right before she died she goes in she looks at the audience and says what a dump and she brought down the house. And those are the actors and actresses of my grandmother's era. My grandmother grew up in Oakland, California. And we go to see films. So she told me, you know, sometimes you'd go to see like three or five films in one day. Because that that's what you did. Or you went to the junkyard and you got some skates. You hung out with your friends. And how diverse Oakland was. It was a lot of immigrants because it was a port town. It was right there, San Francisco and Oakland. And my great-grandfather was a longshoreman. And so, you know, when the parents were busy, what's my aunt or what's my, my uncle and my grandmother going to do? They're going to go watch movies. So that's what they did. And she would tell me, you know, like, I remember years ago, the whole Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, and I asked her, I said, whose team were you on? And she's just like, well, I liked them both. There was no such thing as a team. And I said, well, what about, you know, the, the tell-all that Christina Crawford wrote? And she says, I don't care what she did to that damn kid. She was a damn good actress. And I thought, oh, my God, that's the public right there. It's like they love Joan Crawford, but then they also love Betty Davis and I think you know that's the studio system it's and it's a man's world because who cooked up that rivalry a man Jack Warner because Betty Davis left Warner Brothers Joan Crawford 
Joan Crawford was at Metro Golden Mayor, left. Here she is in her 40s, which at that time was a death sentence for an actress, and is greeted very lovingly at Warner Brothers. And then, and I'm sure that rubbed Betty Davis the wrong way, and then went on to win an Oscar for uh, Mildred Pierce, which is such a, you know, Jason Almy and I have talked about the film noir, and Mildred Pierce really is a film noir. And I know that TCM did like a thing for Jack Carson, who's in Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce, the, the only living cast member of that film, I believe, is Anne Blythe. Anne Blythe is in her 90s. And she played Vida, not Velveeta, but Vida. Very, I mean, the daughter is just... I've never seen the HBO remake with Kate Winslet and, and um, what's her name, um, Evan Rachel Wood. But, I mean, the, the original, come on. Vita, such a brat. And then Carol Burnett and Vicki Lawrence did a parody of it. It was hilarious. Mildred Fierce. Because, you know, if you, if you look at that film, Mildred Pierce was very fierce. But she wasn't fierce. She wasn't fierce in a bad way. She, her whole rationale was, you know, my husband's doing this. I'm going to be the breadwinner, which she was. She opened up her own restaurant, Mildred's. She baked pies, and her daughter looked down upon that and was like, my mother, the cook. Because she wanted her mother, I guess, to be, you know, like an executive and look down upon people who did real work. And yet, who gave her all that wonderful money to do everything that she wanted to do? And that was... Her mother, her mother just, her mother worked her ass off for her and her daughter being the spoiled brat just fucked it all up. She fucked it up. She fucked it up big time. And so that's why I love Mildred Pierce and I, and I love Joan Crawford and I love Betty Davis too. So it's like, oh God, you got to choose teams. So we're going to take a break. We're going to return to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, and I'm going to get some gas. Stay tuned. We're back. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. A lot of this stuff, yes, I learned over time. I'm not just talking out my ass, as some people would say. And I, I'm reminiscing about two amazing ladies that trained me for the current job that I have. And they were always like, you should be a film professor. And I'm like, I wish. That would, that would be fun. That would be fun. You know? But then I'd also want to pursue photography. And then I'd also, you know, I know that there's a filmmaker in me. And a, a lot of my... I've never talked about this before. I think I have. So my father is a Vietnam veteran, and my father was a projectionist, and so he would do, because he told me he went to projection school <laughs> for the military, and um, would show films like Romeo and Juliet, and Barbarella, I think I did talk about this, because I did talk about Barbarella at one point, and the, the, here's why those two films were popular, because they both showed a little boob. And Romeo and Juliet, of course. Juliet, Elizabeth, uh, I think her, what was her name? Hussey or Ruth? Elizabeth Hussey, I think that was her name. 
directed by Franco Zeffirelli. And um, of course, then there's uh, Roger Vadim, who was married and directed his wife, then wife, Jane Fonda in Barbarella, where she was a sex kitten, a woman in space. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I have a history of film in my family right there. And um, I've seen Barbarella, and it's very silly. That's why I enjoy it, though. There are times I'll be home, and I'm just, I want something silly. It's not perfect. It's a, it's a cult classic. One time I got it for a friend for, I think it was Christmas, and she was just like, you could have gotten me Caligula. And I'm like, uh, no, I got you this. So I was just kind of like, wait a minute. When you give someone a gift, it's the thought that counts. Don't tell me what you want, because that's not how it works. Unless you're five years old, one of my nieces or nephews, they, they get what they want. But, you know, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving, Barbarella. Oh, my God. And Jane Fonda will never live that down. You know, I mean, she went on to do many, many films. You know, they shoot horses. Down. That's such a disturbing film to watch. And then Clue, another disturbing film, and then Coming Home. So say what you will about Jane, you know. A lot of veterans don't like her, and I don't blame them for what, you know, she did in Hanoi. Uh, but as a film actor... Hey, she's really she she went places that her father wouldn't go. Her father, Henry Fonda, and this is how I tie it all together, the past and the present. Is, you know, my grandmother would watch the Henry Fonda films. Henry Fonda was a hero on film. So when he finally wanted to play a bad guy, people in his circle were stunned, even in Hollywood. Oh my god, he wants to play the bad guy. And because he always played, you know, he played Lincoln and he played um, what's his name in The Grapes of Wrath um, Tom Joad in the, oh god that's such a powerful film and then he was in 12 Angry Men and so he was about you know standing up for the little guy Henry Fonda and here's his daughter this radical <laughs> I mean he was liberal too but she was radically liberal hung out with the Black Panthers and and method acting. He didn't believe in method acting. And she did because she studied with Lee Strasberg. She knew Marilyn Monroe, who also studied with Lee Strasberg, the Strasberg School. So these actors and actresses that my grandmother would go and watch, you know, like, uh, oh, God. She also loved, uh, uh, was it Omar Sharif? Who, who, who didn't? In um, Dr. Zhivago. Oh, God. And then you've got Julie Christie. Julie Christie, who still looks fabulous. I think it's that British skin, to quote Carol Burnett, because she said that once about Julie Andrews. Look at her skin. Now look at her eyebrows. <laughs> British actors, you know why it's different? Because the film community in England is not a major community. In Hollywood, not everyone knows each other. In the beginning, they did. But in England, it's different. It's very different. So you've got Maggie Smith, who knows Joan Plawright, who knows Jane, uh, Judy Dench, who knows Eileen Atkins, who knows... I mean, they all, they all know each other. Know each other. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different beast. It's a different beast now than when my grandmother and them would go see films. Um, I remember years ago the piano had come out and my grandmother you know with 
Can't judge a book by its title, but a movie too. Hello. So she saw that it was a, it was called a piano, and she thought it was about pianos. Well, she I remember her talking about this. So she watches it, and she's like, "Oh my God, they're naked!" <laughs> because she thought it was about pianos. Well, it was. And it's about human emotion and human conditions. And Holly Hunter doesn't speak a word. And Anna Paquin, who is her daughter. And I mean, the, the, the Piano is a legendary film by Jane Campion. Jane Campion, who went on to win, on, win an Oscar this year for The Power of the Dog. Or as um, what that one actor uh, said, it was a piece of crap. Well, I have watched The Power of the Dog. And it was not... It was not dog thrilling, and you know, and I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm, I'm, I'm a Cumber. What are the group of people that like uh, Cumber bitches? I think that's what they're called. I loved him as Sherlock. If he did like Sherlock as a movie, he would totally win an Oscar for it. He totally would. And I love him as Doctor Strange. Benedict Cumberbatch though in a bad movie like that, and then you've got Kirsten Dunst. It was just, and, and the ending of the Power of the Dog is disturbing. It's, it's disturbing. So it's totally different from the from the westerns of the different eras. You know, it's it's really about the different generations. You know, there was always that kind of Clint. There was there was kind of the the distance between Clint Eastwood and John Wayne because you know Clint Eastwood would do certain things that John Wayne wouldn't do. And I think one time a filmmaker said to John Wayne, well, Clint Eastwood would do it. And he's like, well, why don't you get him instead? <laughs> so it was the different generations in terms of the films. And so that's similar along the lines to Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda, is that at, she was a method actor. Some people don't believe in method acting. And some people do, Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, my God. And then Robert De Niro. And yeah. But, you know, back then, when you did a movie, yeah, you put on your movie face and you did it. And, you know, David Nivens, who was, you know, so dashing. And then Cary Grant. They were, they were playing all these Cary Grant movies. And I'd never seen Houseboat. And, and I know that my grandmother enjoyed that because it's got Cary Grant. And then it's got Sophia Loren. Sophia Loren, who is still with us, just fabulous. I mean... It wasn't until I was probably an adult that I understood the appeal of Sophia Loren. I remember she was in um, uh, Grumpier Men. Remember Grumpy Men? Grumpy Old Men? I remember she was in the sequel. I think we saw the sequel at the theater or something. I don't remember. And it was funny. It was funny. Um, but I didn't really, you know, this, this was Sophia Loren, 1995. I didn't understand the, or 96, I didn't understand the appeal. And then you go back and you watch those old films like Two Women and, um, and then a Houseboat. And it's like, oh, or Arabesque, where she was really just, she was something else. Sophia Loren, the fact that she's still with us is that determination and that embodiment that actors don't have today. And that's from a different generation. And so that's why I wanted to just talk freeform tonight for you all. And, and also to pay tribute to my grandmother who loved film. So yeah, go and watch those. That's why I stress people watching 
classic films because you learn something about yourself and then you learn something about the different generations and then you know how like with saving private ryan it brought the young people together and it brought um, veterans together because then all these young people are talking to these veterans and so that's the same thing is when you watch a classic film you get to have a conversation with someone that you wouldn't necessarily have about a time when they were young and how the films were and so as always unpleasant dreams